and they started walking. And the apes climbed out from the trees and grew tall and they started talking. And the stars fell out of the sky and my tears rolled into the ocean. And now I'm looking for a reason why you even set my world into motion. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> you know, just a little song for you. Just that was dedicated song. to Jake Joy because... Uh, Mm. He uh, said Black and Gold was one of his favorite songs when he did a BGM playlist. So that's what's up. And w- whenever we get together, mm. we're going to do karaoke and do mm-hmm. that song. Mm. So it's another episode of Mega Sheen. Yeah. I'm Nick. And I'm Victor. And Nick is being fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to hate on it because we all have our fast moments. I'm always, I, I think I'm always fast, but. I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm, okay. Who <laughs> we? Well, y'all, we have the show for y'all today. Oh, listen. Listen. You will know who we have in the show notes, but my God, it is going to be an outrageous ass episode. It is. But before we get there, Victor, how you been? I have been good. Uh, I um been resting, and and you know it's the it's the the time has changed, so things get a little bit darker in in California, but we get a little bit of fall. It's a little cold at night, you know. Get to wear a shawl, you know. Try to stay a little warm and everything. It's really good. Not a shawl though. <laughs> I have one. I do. I have. <laughs> I do. I've worn it twice. I'm on, I'm actually start wearing it because I realized someone pointed out to me that um, way back in the day they thought I was gender fluid and I was like really I was like how did you think that I was like did you kind of see yourself in the late nineties and two thousands so I did and I was like I kind of did so I'm gonna post a picture for Thursday to let y'all let me know but I didn't realize like I always had straight hair at one point when I permed it but I used to wear at one point. Um, Y leg like women's pants because I was so obsessed with Y leg trousers and bootleg pants, but I like the women's versions better, and I used to wear those. But I didn't think twice about it. But hey, uh-huh. I love I still love Y leg pants. Don't if I see like somebody wearing them, I'm like I want to wear them too. I mean I'm short; it doesn't work for me being short, but I was still right. though. I do like a tall woman in some Y leg trousers. Mm hmm. I do. It's something about that look. You know, um, uh-huh. I think of It's My Life by um, um, No Doubt redid It's My Life, but the video for that, you know, stay, uh, she was wearing a lot of wide leg pants and that. And it was just kind of fun. And she's always been good with fashion. And her name just, stayed, just left my mind. It's Gwen Stefani. Um, right. But in that video, she did some wide leg pants. And you know, I was watching Sex in the City a lot over the weekend, and they do fashion well. If y'all haven't got, get the book, Sex in the, not the book, Sex in the City, but there is a book about the show, and it has every outfit from every season, that every, from every episode, or every character, what they wore, and it's kind of neat to look back at it, because it's like, wow, that was a cute outfit back then. But, you know, it's stuff like that sometimes, like, wow, I wish that men fashion was a little bit more, um, colorful and bold like right that. it's yep. not 
but I remember in my younger days, I used to take those risks. So I may post some pictures of when I used to just do whatever I just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a question for you before we get started. Yeah. Um, who had better fashion, Girlfriends TV show or Sex and the City? Mm, Sex and the City. I'm sorry. Joan has some <laughs> outfits, though. Joan and Tony had some great outfits. Um, Joan was stunting in that yeah. uh, law office. I don't know what kind of office that was, but she would have on the five-inch stilettos, the see-through blouse. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And her hair was always, always gorgeous too. And I was, mm-hmm. um, Lynn had some outfits that were like, okay, that's cute. I can't remember it was episode when they were in the when Lynn was not Lynn, but when um Maya was trying to sell back that um dress. Um, but there was some. Ep- oh was, yeah, yeah, there yeah. That was a ep- there was a there was an outfit that Lynn had that was really cute, and she had some cute outfits. But at the end of the day, Sex and the City had better outfits. But then they had a huge ass budget, and they had Patricia. Um, oh, I can't remember her yeah. last name. Patricia Fields. Yes, who was you know doing the fashion? So it was like you know, of course they're gonna have this, but if we can y'all can at me at this all day. I'm gonna still say Sex and the City. I can see that. Didn't Patricia Fields do the fashion for uh, Devil Wears Prada? I want to say yes. And now I'm, now they're going to be missed because I used to want to be a fashion designer. That was my goal before I went to college. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I still have my old designs. Like I look at it now, I was like, I think I was ahead of my time. That's my belief. But anyway, um, which I should have said something to our guest that we have today. Um, yes. because a lot of my my ideas came from a particular show. So, and if you uh, listen to the show and past episodes, you should already know what show Victor's talking about. Yes. Let's just go ahead and tell him. We just no, 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 no. Don't okay. tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all gonna well, be surprised. Uh, let's get it to uh, some of this amazed tea. Yeah. So, we'll start with the big news today. The big news today was Brian Michael Bendis. Now, if you know who he is, he is the mastermind that has been behind Marvel for many years. He's given us Jessica Jones. He's given us Riri Williams. He's also given us Mom Morales. He also shook up the X-Men by bringing back the um, old, the younger group from the 60s up into our time now. Um, and he's been a part of Marvel for many years. Um, he's, you know, he has some hit or misses. Um, but any writer has that. But the big news is he is now going over to DC. So he's leaving his comfortable home in Marvel. And he's going over to DC to do some, some stuff over there. Folks lost their goddamn mind. And they did. And I'm... Y'all know how I feel. I've said this many times. You know, I feel like social media is a place that a lot of people go to feel like a part of something. And I get that. But sometimes I think there's also this group think that if your faves say they don't like it, you don't like it either. And I was watching it all this morning and I was like, mm, I don't know where this hate is coming from. What did, what did you think about all the hate? You know, I I, I don't pay attention a lot to comics because I feel like if I were to start in comics then I would have to go back through all these issues and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they're so expensive to start, number one. 
Number two, I felt like, okay, so he's done with Marvel, so he's going to try DC. Okay, you know, I can't knock somebody for, he's been there, what, how long? Way over 10 years. (laughs) So it's time for, for him, he wants to try something new. And you know, if he left, anybody else was going to try to snatch him up. Mm-hmm. And the people with the most money was going to be DC. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want folks to A, calm down. B, now, in terms of his stories that he's leaving befi- behind, uh, I fully agree with everybody else. that uh, Especially in terms with Riri Williams, that a black woman should write her. Because mm-hmm. even though I think... Um, ben does he has a adopted black child yes okay that's good and you know kudos to you but there's some nuances that no matter how immersed you think you are in black culture you can't write from a black woman's perspective mm-hmm. like for example for us even though we're gay men and we have a lot of female influence around us a lot of experiences we can't really relate to because we are men. Right. So I get what everybody is saying. And it's past time. When was the last... How many black women have written for the big two (laughs) in the past five years, 10 years, 15 years? Forever. Right. It's been less than a handful um, or that we even know about, um, right? And and if y'all have paid attention, have you? If y'all remember, there was some posts. I think it was from DC. They were show like, look at our women's group, and it was all white women. I think it, it was, was mayonnaise one, white. It was like one woman of color. I think that you had to really look at. But it's you're right. There's not a lot of black women writing, um, and I think it'd be nice if we could have more black women. A part of this and you're totally right as a writer it's you know that's something you have to think about when I for example I wrote a, a pilot um, where the lead is a black woman is a black woman who just graduated from high school I'm like okay she's my lead but I I'm I'm drawn on my experiences with my friends and just uh-huh. being black but I can never be able to really give a true perspective of what it is to be a black woman I'm not so you know I I you know, if this ever got picked up or whatever, I will always, if they said, well, Victor, you need to, like, step off and let something happen. I'd be like, okay, great, but let I, can I have a black woman oversee something or make sure that this is representing this, this character? So, you know, I give Bendis credit for introducing us to strong female characters and people of color. Um, his writing has been off with some of them at times. But, you know, again, as I said before... No one, none of us are perfect when it comes to getting the characters right. And I think he's been learning from that experience. So, you know, I'm glad he started out with these characters. I want people of color to come in and, you know, build them up again or, you know, take it to another level. Right, exactly. And not just black women, uh, Latino women, Mm -hmm. uh, Asian women, disabled women. Trans women, trans men, mm-hmm. other people of color, because at the end of the day, we all deserve to see ourselves represented. Mm-hmm. Whether it be in comics, video games, movies, 
books, TV shows, porn. <laughs> I mean, whatever. True. Very true. And I and I really want. And you know, there are some trans women who are writing comics, indie or not, um, and which is great. I just, again, as you were saying, I would like to see more of color people writing. And, and I like the fact that we can turn it indie. I like that that's now a choice. You know, for a lot of us, it's like, you know what, if you don't take us, we'll just do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also like to see us in the big two. Um, not that we need to be to be considered valid, but it'll be nice to say, hey, we can do that too. We can do our own stuff and then we do that too. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, I don't hate Bendis. I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think anything. I, I, again, I don't know where the hate is coming from, but I am appreciative of what he has given because, you know, if he didn't give us Riri, we wouldn't have Riri. If he didn't give us uh, Jessica Jones, wouldn't have Jessica Jones. If he didn't give us Miles Morales, wouldn't have it. So we have these characters that people are looking up to, you know. And now, because he started this foundation, it's time to pass it to people who can properly continue that foundation. Exactly. And build it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, congratulations to you, Bendis. Um, I'm sure you'll do great in D.C., uh, I saw some people concerned about Nubia. I hate to tell y'all that she's not coming back, so y'all can stop worrying about Young get are you gonna get the alternative version? You will not you know, and watch. He'll probably bring her back. But let's not get to a point where we just speculate everything. Let's just let let's just see what he does. And then we'll right. come back to it. Because now as one of my friends pointed out to me. Um, he hates being on Twitter. He said it's a lot of non-writers talking about what writers should do, and I was like, "Oh Lord!" I was like, "Welcome, welcome to Twitter." I mean, <laughs> where you been? And I was like, "Right," and I said, "I get that." So, like, a part of me is like, you know, I, at, as a writer, I'm always gonna be like, "Girl, we're gonna always have some hit or misses." The best thing we can do is learn from it and just get better. So let's, let's keep that in mind as we critique these people. Um, and also, if y'all have suggestions, share those suggestions because you know what you you know what happens in class when you sit up there and talk about oh I don't like this the first day teacher do or what would you do better so be prepared y'all when y'all talk about you don't like something you better have some receipts to show what you can do because if you don't sometimes your argument may just fall mm-hmm. and crack on the ground. Oh, well. All right. So what else <laughs> do we have? Well. We're going to talk about this later, but I saw Thor, and I'm excited about it. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I saw Thor, too. And, yes, I, we will have uh, a full review mm-hmm. of Thor coming up. But, uh, yes. <laughs> a thousand times, yes. I'm I'm crushing on the Hulk in his hairy chest. <laughs> You just wanted to see that ass. I'm mad because they did that. I was like, look at y'all, but you could have showed Chris, but that's okay. You know, Thor could could be coming out of the tub too. You know, that's true. We're not going to stop him. Even, even Loki, because I go back and forth with Loki. He's actually a very attractive man. Um, He is, but that hairline just, it's like so far back. It's, (laughs) I can it offends that. me. I can do that. But you know, again, Chris Hemsworth, I know we all love some Chris Evans, but y'all, let's, let's not sleep on Chris Hemsworth because sometimes I'm like... I mean, I'll sleep with him. Okay. All right. 
and you know, I'll do that too and cheat with him, you know, all types of things. Now see, <laughs> if I had to choose Chris Evans or Chris, that's too much. I, oh, I don't need Lord. that kind of stress I in mean, my that, life. That would be stressful. Yeah. I'll have to, you know, have, pull out a cigarette on that one because I'd be like, because, you know, you got to think about it. Like, which one? Which one is tall? You know, which one? And, you know, you see pictures of them together. I'm just like. I can't have both of them. Yeah, can I? Yeah, can I split the time? Like they say, you only have one hour with one. I said, like, can I have thirty minutes with each? <laughs> Listen, we will both of y'all jump in this bed right now. Like yes, let's just and give me that work. Yeah, I can make thirty minutes work. You know, we can do that. We can do that. Yeah, you can. You sure. can. You can. Do thirty minutes and then get to a Judge Judy episode. <laughs> yes, you can. You'd be worn out, but you know, I'll I'll take that walk of shame all over the town. Be like, yeah, that ain't no walk of shame. That is that's, that's a merit badge. Yeah. That is a Pokemon gym badge. Yes, that is. <laughs> it's a shame both of those Chris's. Even the other Chris too, but this but those two. And then you know, they you know again, not to get too much in the movie, but you know, they had to remind us about his body in that one <laughs> Dead body. Serving body. I was like you didn't have to. I was like, y'all didn't have to do that. I'm up here vulnerable and lonely at this theater. And y'all had to do that to me. I was like, okay. Okay. Mm, they know what they were doing. They but shit, if I had a body like that, <laughs> I couldn't close on neither. I don't know. I keep, I, I claim I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like these people, like, taking a picture of their new iPhone when they butt-ass naked. Well, look at my iPhone. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, again, if who knows what I would do if I was that. If I was in that shape. Good a shape. But yes, we'll talk about Thor a little bit later, but we just had to get a little bit in. And also, to the queen, to, to both queens. <laughs> Let, oof. Yeah, Tessa, Kate, y'all fucking did that. Mm-hmm. I need more of y'all. I need just the movie with both of y'all showing out. Listen, oof. I still want that headpiece. Oh my god! I want that hippie. Why? 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 Now, I went to the, I went to a a guest premiere on on Thursday after like Thursday night ish. Oh, you fancy? And, no, that's just L.A. And, <laughs> and um, why did um some drag queens come in? I didn't. I should have took a picture, but I wasn't thinking. Drag queens came in already with the headdress. They already. Because that's what we do. These hoes were ready. And was taking pictures already. I'm just telling you that headpiece. Like I want to wear it. I have no reason to. I just want to have something like that. Like you, you know, when you want to be evil. Like that's the type of hairdress you wear when you like want to approach somebody about their man and you know, pull an Alexis moment on somebody with that headdress uh-huh. or a sable. But you know, you just want not, not sable, not sable. Yes, <laughs> walk into the room with fur and that headdress. You will be. You have to say nothing. You already know it's just over at that point. Right. You already know. I ain't got to say nothing. <laughs> I already then, know what's going down. Shit. And, and Tessa gave us. We haven't really seen. It's hard to talk about this, but it, we haven't really seen a, bl- a black woman in that role. That was nice, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Enough. <laughs> enough. Enough. Yes. Okay. Moving on. Yes. Um, so this kind of broke, I don't know, last week mm-hmm. sometime. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's in place or not, but Twitter is on some bullshit. <laughs> uh, like, well, like always. In addition to they, everybody got 280 characters. So 
think pieces, threads, all that shit is like down. It's currently happening right now. <laughs> but uh, Twitter is also addressing apparently there's too much sex on Twitter. So a lot of their services or their policies that they're in implementing now are uh some of their uh policies are like uh dating sites or sexually explicit themes in dating sites uh porn pornography and magazines books and films uh, prostitution uh intimate companion services uh, full or partial nudity which is like I had porn on my timeline, and it was 7.35 in the morning, and that was today. <laughs> I was about to say, they ain't stopped nobody, because I'm not going to say who it is, but somebody um, who works in the industry is always posting stuff, and I'm just like, I I just turned I just turned on my phone and just saw somebody mouth on something. I was like, I thought Twitter, okay. I was like, I thought Twitter was. Right. Like sex toys. Um, but, okay, so if they are trying to implement all this rules, which I know for a fact they're not because right before we jumped on this call, I saw some porn videos scroll across my timeline. <laughs> so I know. Are they allowing businesses though? Because I'm thinking some of these places are businesses. Like, you know, let's just say like like a, like a Sean Cody or. Uh, or like men.com or like. Yeah. Uh, so Rent, I, well, not Rent Boys, but uh, a lot of these yeah. other things like at the end of the day. They are a business and they need to make money. And the way that they make money is through selling sex. Yes. And sex always sells, yes. number one. Number two, a lot of these, like what are sex workers, for instance, you're already hurting. They're already stigmatized as it is. Yeah. So you are directly going after them. Mm. Number three, uh, like these hookup sites like Grinder, like Scruff, like Jack, like everything else, they private the whole thing of their business model is to provide sex for other to for other people. Yeah. So you go explicitly going after them, I'm like then you just want the business to fail. Yeah. I I don't know why they think that this is going to work because one way or another the girls are going to get this, their dick pics, the girls are mm -hmm. going to get these videos, whatever, what have you. Yeah. It's more the, along the lines that you're already stigmatizing sex workers as it is. Mm -hmm. So to flag their work as a violation of this BS policy. I mean, hell, uh, Black Pomegranate. Are yeah. you going to flag them? We had, they were a recent guest on the, well, they were a guest on the show mm -hmm. earlier in the year. So what are you gonna flag them? Yeah. Yeah. It's just that and then they also had an issue with bisexual, like the word bisexual was like somewhat like no It wasn't even fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't even finding the word bisexual in searches. And I was like, what? Like I don't you know, I think what they were trying to do was I guess they trying to like I guess they have to do a huge net before they can get down to the pinpoint, and I'm uh, that's I'm assuming they were trying to trying to do it right, but by doing it right, they have to do this big net casting um, because right. I'm, and I think they because I was like thinking, you know, for example, my friend Jason Mark, he posts. I mean, he works for Titan, 
but he also posts like you know stuff about his own stuff. So I'm just like, well, they haven't said anything about you know him yet. He just posted something. <laughs> well, I was like, okay. Right. So I'm like, I guess they haven't stopped it. But I think what they're what I was told is they're trying to get these people from because there's this um revenge. Like the is it revenge porn or something like that where they, you know people will like post, uh, yeah, uh, uh, like okay, well we broke up, so here is you, all his nudes, all and this whatnot, stuff. Yeah, I think some of that is uh, has triggered the conversation because you think about the fact that um, again with Milo Napolopoulos and all these people who have like when they released um, Leslie's Leslie Jones private pictures, I think that was the catalyst. I want to believe um, to where they're trying to do this thing, but hopefully they will figure out that some people are just throwing out uh, thirst traps. <laughs> and you just have to right. understand the difference between the two. Like it's not somebody being vindictive. These are their own, you know, I guess we just had, we just had um, chief, you know, chief, you know, he does, I, I, I call them nice, sultry thirst traps. Cause they're not, they're not explicit. They're actually really nice. They tackle. Taste, they're tasteful. Very tasteful. Cause he did a he did one recently that I was like that's cute. That's actually a cute one. Um, where I know which one you talked about, and you did not say it was cute. Huh? I said I know which one you talked about, yeah. and you said that you did not say that was cute. I was, but we are gonna leave it at that. I I said this is what I said on Twitter. I said I would not up. Um, I would not up. I can't even say the word object. You know, objectify you. But good. You know, great hair. Cause I was like that. I was like, okay, because I, you know, I I respect him. I don't want to, you know, look at him like that. But you know, but you know, if it's gonna be in my face. But anyway, the the thing what we're saying is, I, I hope Twitter figured out the difference between you know what is offensive and what are people actually celebrating their bodies. You know, if you want to uh-huh. talk about your new iPhone in the nude, okay. Um, but don't y'all get up there and be upset when people have something to say. About your pictures, because if some people have something to say, like if they don't say, "Oh, I don't like that" or whatever, don't be mad. Because like you don't want to put it up there, you should be open to the criticism. But that's another story. But again, and if you post in a new, please clean up your room or clean up, clean the mirror or something. No, like y'all, <coughs> like don't be doing that. Don't have the child in the room and get your dog out of the room. Because I, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be super like y'all poor pets. <laughs> looking like what's this motherfucker doing I know like there is there is this one adult film where they suppose I guess they're brothers they're not brothers but whatever they are and they're just literally going at it and the dog is on the bed with them I was like lord have mercy this poor dog is traumatized <laughs> like when I used to have pets I used to my thing was like get I don't want them in the room like no put them out I don't want them in the room child <laughs> <laughs> not to tell all my business, but you know, well, me and the BF are going at it and whatnot. The cats will be meowing. Mm-mm. Like, we will have to actually go in the bedroom, shut the door, and turn the lights off. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just unnatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like so damn nosy. Yeah, I don't, I don't want pets involved. But anyway, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, if y'all gonna do your thirst traps, do them well. Don't be tacky about it. Um, Twitter, do not be able to distinguish the two. Like you know, some people let them live, let them live, let them continue to do that 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 head that head tilt that 
tilt that they do that makes us think that they're masculine. You know, let them continue. Right. <laughs> and y'all love to do that. I don't know what y'all, y'all gays be killing me trying to do this head tilt. Like, that's going to make you more masculine. Girl, that makes you just hiding in the... Girl, just find the light. Find the light. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. yeah, some of y'all love some thirst traps. So, anyway, Twitter, get it together. That's, that's not blanket everybody in that. Right. In <laughs> some video game news, so BlizzCon was this past weekend. Okay. And Overwatch announced not only a new map, but also a new character. And the character's name is Moira. Hmm. I was like, okay, come on, Moira Matagger. <laughs> anyway, she's a, a support character. Okay. But she plays the, the uh, initial video the the character introduction video, she seems like she's a hybrid between Symmetra and Zenyatta, so she's a a healer, but she can also damage enemies. Uh, she has a a ability called Fade, where she kind of teleports from one map one part of the map to the other, kind of like Reapers um, teleport. Hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting how she plays and how she can kind of mesh with the other characters that are already in play. Hmm. But, and also, I'm going to need Overwatch and everybody at Blizzard to get this comp. How you all rate the system is just for shit. <laughs> but that is another time for another day because I can go on mm-hmm. for 30 minutes and... We got other stuff to talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, the new character sounds interesting. You know, like she, she does. She's um. There's one skin of hers that looks like um David Bowie. Yeah. And she looks like she would be a gender fluid. She kind of. <laughs> she looks female, but mm-hmm. then again, she could also probably pass as a male, or maybe she's a trans person. Because hmm. the uh, Blizzard wanted to also introduce more queer characters. Hmm. So we already have Tracer, and uh, so it could be another character. And they don't necessarily say it in the game. They'll do it in their shorts, the short videos, or the mm-hmm. comics. Okay. I like and how she's... they... Oh, well, sorry, go ahead. I, say, I like how they, you know, do like the little mini, like the little comics or the little other things that play along with the overall universe. It's kind of a nice mix. Right. Right, uh, and I think she might be. I think she's a uh, a villain. She's part of the task force that uh, Reaper, Widowmaker, and Sombra mm-hmm. uh, are. I forgot what it's called, but yeah, I think she's a villain. Okay, yeah, that sounds cute. Yeah. And that's all for a little bit of video game news for you. Well, we got some other big old news. Um, so. On Twitter, there was this little message about, you know, Disney working with Fox to maybe inquire some of their property. Now, when we saw that, you know, the first thing that everybody jumped up on was, bitch, give them the X. And I was like, I was one of those people too. And I was like, yes, give them the X Men because y'all been okay. That's, just, that's y'all need to cleanse it because 
the director, who just got in some heat today. If y'all didn't know about Brian Singer's in some heat. Finally. He said some heat again. Yeah, again. Well, you know, it was came out in the news today. But anyway, if this is going to go down, um, then you already know. Like <laughs> Disney Marvel should be like coming in like you are. So basically sit down and be like, you already know. And anything. Right. You just give so us what's up, sis? give us the X-Men property. Y'all can keep Fantastic ass four. Now I know some of y'all are some some there's some fans of Fantastic Four and there's some 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 stuff I like about it, like Agatha Harkness, the the witch slash governess of Franklin. Um the young boy and I like Franklin because he's a he has like these multiple like omniscient like powers but in all I just don't care about them so y'all can keep them but give them the X-Men why it's because we know Marvel has a good track record hit or miss with some things in humans but we know they can give us a good stuff a good show and it will be fun and we might be able to see before I die a dark skin <laughs> storm. Now, I don't know if this is going to happen because there was now initially I remember very vividly that on this show, maybe it was early, it was late spring or early summer mm-hmm. that we had talked about Marvel and Fox being in talks. Mm-hmm. Now they're in talks again. Yes. And then I saw another report that the talks are off. Well, that's that's what the Russo brothers, though, because they had plans to do something with Fox. Not really with Marvel, but just just jump over and do stuff with Fox. That fell apart. Uh But if y'all want to go back, we're going to play Rachel Maddow conspiracy theory theory here. Y'all go back. Y'all remember Stan Lee just said like a mere two months ago, Right. That they in talks to take X-Men back. And now all of a sudden this. Now people kind of wrote off Stanley because, you know, Stanley is. He's know. a man of a certain age. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, <laughs> you know how it is. Sometimes we have grandparents who be telling you about they can still see the, the Confederacy, you know, across the street. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but he said something. And I have to believe this man. I've. I, he don't be bullshitting. No, he don't. And and there was also talks about this at his Comic Con because he just had his Comic Con, um, a couple of weeks uh, a week or two ago, and there was rumblings about it there when I was there Sunday. Now, if this is true, it will be beneficial. Which, it, but if you think about it, let's look at the receipts. Notice they're releasing all of, of this X Men property lately. We have the Dark Phoenix movie coming out. We have another Deadpool coming out. We have New Mutants coming out. We have The Gifted. Okay. so we... Which is one of the best shows on TV, by the way. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I think it is, but we won't go yeah, into that. Yeah, I, I need to sit down and really, really watch it. Um, but, um, so we, they've been dropping this stuff. And you know when you about to, like, think about it. When Rihanna was trying to get out of that contract, she dropped all those albums, like, every other week. what she did anti I could that be a message that you know it's like let's get all we can now let's make this money oh that makes so much sense and then then y'all can have it because I'm like thinking okay because think about they wrap these movies up quick 
Right. We haven't, because they said Dark Phoenix is done. I'm like, we ain't seen a lick of, because, you know, normally you will see, like, uh, Steals, steel something, something, some more casting news drop. We ain't see shit. New Mutants wrapped. We just saw like a teaser. We ain't seen a trailer, and they've already. And notice we they finished Deadpool, and we've seen some pictures already because of Domino. We've seen Domino. We've seen Cable, but they've already wrapped. I believe that they're trying to you know let me get. It's like basically they pulling a what's her name and uh. Players Club, she's trying to get her money. She's like, run uh-huh. me my money. Ronnie. Ronnie's like, run me my money, and then y'all can do what y'all got to do. This is what I believe. So that's my conspiracy theory of the day. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. And now I can't unsee it. So this is what I think they're doing. Because they do I'm shook. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, I really believe that. Because I, I was sitting there going, they're doing a lot of stuff. Stanley ran his mouth last month. <laughs> like he sudden, probably had jumped the gun because mm-hmm. you know he probably was feeling good about himself because you know he don't get money regardless this man has a student he has an office in um beverly hills and on a good day you will see him walking around beverly hills um uh-huh. but anyway i feel like this is gonna happen and if it does you know they're gonna redo the x-men and if they do baby well they gotta just come to twitter for casting <laughs> Yeah, they do. They need to do it, and you know they got to find somebody who's gonna who's gonna be helming it. You know Kevin Feig, Feig. Well, I'm saying your name wrong, Kevin. I'm sorry, but you know he's gonna oversee it. But they're gonna have like it's gonna be that director who's like I'm gonna be the one, like the Russo brothers. Like I'm gonna be the one probably running this. So who will that be? And then the casting and which and which genre of the X Men they're gonna use. Um. I'm sorry, y'all. You're going to hate me for this, but y'all can leave the Dazzler out. Um, but you can put other people in. Actually, I want them to kind of... Mm, like, try to really remix it. Because we've seen so much Wolverine. So if you're going to put him in, they can actually make him the... I think the five foot two, five foot three. he really is. Because he's not tall. He's not tall at all. Yeah, he's not tall at all. And they can do that. I mean, if they can make a talking... A talking raccoon. They can make a five a five foot three Wolverine. You wild. You are wild. And so I'm just saying that this is their time to really kind of really reshape it back to what we like about it. And if they if Marvel did take it back and was smart, this is how they revamped the X Men back to how they were in the '90s when they dominated every goddamn thing. So I'm like, mm-hmm. this is how y'all do it. Take it back. Take it back because at this point. Sony has proven the point of Marvel that Marvel is better with these properties. When Marvel got a hold of Spider-Man, what happened? Gold. Now, if this... Say this is happening right now. Mm -hmm. They already probably have stuff in the works or scripts in the making. Mm -hmm. Just like Moeller. Yeah. (laughs) Uh So say they have... Say they get the rights back. Mm -hmm. And how... Infinity Wars is going to be what a two-parter. Because mm-hmm. the Infinity War that just in time to introduce X Men uh, into the, the the next phase. Come on, bitch. <laughs> because with the, cause the Infinity War, come on now. With the with the with the power of the if y'all read the Infinity Gauntlet and all that stuff, y'all know I'm going to spoil it. They for died. You. They all everybody they, died. Yeah, everybody died, and they came on way back. 
with this infinity war, bitch. They can sit up here and be like, we have a whole new ass universe. Oh! See, that's... Man. See, we... Connect the dots. Come on. Connect the dots and follow the money. Come on. And if that come out to be true, you know, I'm going to be right there on everybody's podcast saying, I, we said this back right. on November the what? 7th. Seven. So November the 7th, yeah. two days before my birthday. Show, oh, I'm mad at that. Uh, <laughs> we said this, uh, it's what, 7 something your time, 4 something my time. We said mm-hmm. this. But the point is, I, I really think that they're in talks to do it. If they don't get everything, all I really want them to get is the X-Men property. Just get uh-huh. that back. And I feel like, again, I just feel like there's too many dots connecting to yes, it will. Because after, when Stan Lee said what he said, and we kind of, you know, people kind of like just tossed it aside. And now what we're seeing, it just feels like, hmm. And then with them doing all these movies at once and then dropping them out, it's like, okay, you're trying to get all your money because you know you're about to sell. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm. Interesting. We'll see. So what else? Do we have anything else? Well, I didn't want to close it out, but I guess we want to kind of, you know, we have to make note of what happened to um, a young man that was murdered by his father. And I didn't yes. end on that note with this, but I, I, we have to talk about it because this was a young black man and we represent um, queer men of color. And I think we do need to just kind of talk about it a little bit because I saw this and I was just, how do I say it? I wasn't surprised because we, this happens very often, you know, in, in our community where we have, you know, the men just so threatened by us, um, not just queer men, but also, you know, trans women, too, that they will they will kill us. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, in Las Vegas that mm-hmm. 14-year-old Giovanni Melton mm-hmm. was, uh, was killed by his father, Wendell, uh, because Giovanni was gay. Mm-hmm. Or uh, allegedly he was gay. Mm-hmm. And they said that uh, Wendell's... Uh, had said to family members in France that I'll rather have a dead gay, a dead son than a gay son. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's such a fucked up story. Yeah. But it's not uncommon, especially in the queer people of color community. Yeah. So there was a, a custody battles between Wendell and Giovanni's mother um, that had abandoned him. And I think at the time Giovanni wasn't living with the at the at the house with uh, his father, and it was one of those things that he just I guess the father got so pissed off and just shot him and killed him. Mm-hmm. And this is why we keep on saying masculinity is so toxic, or masculinity is so fragile. Mm-hmm. It's shit like this. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be, oh, we'll mourn you or do that. And then the next day, forget you. Yeah. As and you... I, I, 
I didn't see a lot of the uh, quote unquote uh, woke black Twitter talking about this. It was mainly gay people, gay yeah. black people. And and it also goes to show you that you know when it comes down to it, I don't. In this struggle, we still have to make we have to remind our own people sometimes that these struggles are are our struggles too. Every time a trans woman is murdered, that's our struggle. Every time a young black queer person is murdered, that is our struggle. That is a part of us. It's a part of the systematic ignorance that has been a part of us for for decades. The fact that this father felt like he needed to do this because he was afraid of his of his son being gay is something that you know has been ingrained in us because of this toxic masculinity and so it's 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 very disheartening that this child was not able to be and it also should make a lot of us really feel lucky that we were able to be at some point in our lives we were able to be um you know i don't it it was hard to see that because i haven't seen it was just something recently, you know, a young boy, a young Latino boy was killed. Yep. And I'm by this. And I'm like, we need to really have this conversation in our communities because this has to stop. We cannot do this. This is the reality. This is this is genetics. I mean, it's life. I mean, we just had <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to equate it in any form or fashion, but, you know, we just had issue. They just talked about two lions, two male lions. Um uh-uh were together this is nature this is something that this is not sinful so the fact that there's over 500 species documented species that practice homosexuality and you mean to tell me humans are above it come on now yeah so i you know you know my heart goes out to the family um and hopefully this is something that has maybe shocked some people into thinking about their families about their kids and um, like how hopefully they will not respond um, and hopefully there is a way we can start having better conversations within our community about how to address this because again toxic masculinity masculinity is a disease and it is killing us so we have uh-huh. to figure out a way to stop it we just can't we just can't have this continue on like this yeah it's it's terrible it is but but actually, I don't want to end on a bad note. I want to end on. We'll see how this how this would come across. Um, <laughs> Warner Brothers. Um, you know they still feeling themselves. For the Wonder Woman success, you know she's basically saved the DC universe, cinematic universe. So they you um, they are her campaigning. For her, for the Oscars. Now, you know, I'm thinking with these type of movies, I'm thinking of, you know, best score, best cinematographer. No, they are going for best actress, best movie. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I've are seen, you sure? Yeah. Uh, you can y'all Google it because there is a you can see it. They have you can see the print. Um, in fact, I'm gonna Google it right now. Um, because I was like sitting up and looking at it, and I was like, um, oh, okay. Now you know I'm not gonna shade, ma'am, Miss Gall. I 
now. What she wasn't going giving no tour de force. Yeah, that's that's for goddamn sure. <laughs> but it was tolerable. Yeah. Now I mean, I don't know <laughs> what movie that they watched. Oh, but the movie that I watched, maybe cinematography, maybe sound mixing, mm-hmm. but actress. Yes. Okay. So the now the movie has done well. It's already hit. It's almost at eight hundred million, um, and um, you know, that's great. Um, they're looking into um, possibly again best actress, best movie, best director, which you know I can I can we can play with that, um, but I, I I don't know how deep we need to go with that, but you know if we're gonna go there, then I've like then I've like you know I think about Captain America Civil War, I think about Captain America Winter Soldier, like those to me like okay we're gonna play that then we they should have been put up there but they wasn't. I don't think Christopher Nolan even got an Oscar now. Mm, no, I don't think. Not for Batman anyway. No, he got it for like, well, right now he got one for that that movie that nobody saw, but apparently everybody thought it was good. Dunkirk. What, Dunkirk? <laughs> I don't even know what that was, but apparently. Um, Girl, it was some kind of war movie. I guess. I wasn't even paying no attention to it. Um, there's also rumors that they may want to put in Justice League. Now we ain't now. Okay, so who's who's high? Who is smoking crack? But you know what? It's it's it, you know it's it's like you know the, it's like when your mother, you know you like you a little five year old you can't sing, but your mama gonna still support you to get out on the stage and sing this little light of mine. That's what they're doing. Okay, you know what? That's what they're doing, <laughs> and you know, you know. I'm not going to shade Gal Gadot because she did a great job. I enjoy her as Wonder Woman. Um, but I don't. I, I, Girl. I think about, you know, the great Meryl Streep. I think about Viola Davis. I think about the type of stuff they give us. Now, I, I, I you, you know, that's, 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 that's a lane that very few can be on. Especially you talk about, you know, Viola Davis. Think about her and Fences. Her in doubt, that little, that little, that little, barely time she was on that stage, but she uh-huh. still got that nomination, you know, and, and that, that that skill, and I'm just saying, okay, so you know, like I said, we're not gonna shade up in here, but I'm just saying, I appreciate their uh, enthusiasm. <laughs> but let's let's be re- realistic. Mm-hmm. Let's let's. You know what, baby? If you if you like it, then I love it. You know, yes. you know. Go ahead. That's that's right. It's right. You go ahead and do that. And on the same note, um, what's um, Bay has um, Henry Cavill has has told the truth and basically told everybody that he knows Superman ain't shit, and hopefully they'll get it right. And he also said that Wonder Woman was truly the beginning of this. <laughs> you know, he, I've seen recent pictures of him, and he looks huge. He like, looks, as big as this, this damn sofa. I know, and I'm enjoying this little mustache beard thing he's got. And he's been taking cute, like, his little outfits have been, like, you know, very fitting. And... So he's naked? No. <laughs> it's just he gets, he's just been, he's always been a, a nice, you know, Popeye's meal. But, you know, I'm just like, 
you know, I would want to see him in the Tom of Finland outfit. Mm. You know, all that leather. Because mm. that's... Yeah, because he has an innocent look to him, but you know he's not innocent. But I, I want to see that. Something about him, the way he's been looking lately, especially when he's in my pictures with my husband. And so when he's in my pictures with... Uh, in those pictures with, uh, you know, Jason, I'm just like, okay, you know what? See, that's something right there. That's where I have to have a moment where I have to be like, if you told me I only had an hour or 30 minutes, I'd be like, you know what? Then I have to forfeit because I can't. That's. Because I want. Those two might be. Mm, let me quit. See, we try to make a family friendly show. This ain't no goddamn family friendly <laughs> show. If your family is listening to it, but you know, good on, good on you, mate. <laughs> but if uh, if you come over here and think that we're gonna talk about uh, cooking recipes and Ina Gardner, then we might this ain't the show for you, boo. No, you said Ina Gardner. She has some good recipes. <laughs> she has some good recipes, though. She does have some good she recipes. Does. I I'm think her lie. husband don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> And she looks like the type of person who will be spilling everybody's tea, too. Cause she does. She looks like my, uh, oh my God, what was it? My 10th grade family and consumer science teacher. <laughs> so let me tell you a quick story before we go to break. This bitch, she had the audacity to eat somebody's sandwich, then put it back, and then cop an <laughs> attitude with that other person when they said, who ate my sandwich? <laughs> Do you know I would have laid hands on this this big girl? Hmm. Mm. I was like, she know better. <laughs> Ate it, and it's like, oh, I got hungry. I was but like, this... bitch, you wowed. Yeah. That's that's oh a new logic God. for me. But, you know, we love Ida. Well, I, I, I miss Sandra D, though. Sandra, whatever her name was. I miss her and her Kwanzaa cake. But I miss because she was like, okay, we going to make this little rinky-dink ass food over here, but these drinks, these <laughs> drinks are popping. <laughs> she did. Be like, this half will be like, I'm going over to, um, we're going over to um, Ames. No, we're going over to, <laughs> we're going over, where are you getting these groceries from? We're getting it from Food Dollar. We're going over here to get this, but these drinks. <laughs> listen, she was all about them drinks. She's like, listen, you can have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but these vodka tonics over here, <laughs> these motherfuckers going to get off. <laughs> Ooh, we... I miss her because she has some drinks for you. No, she has some. Her, you know, back in the day, Rachel Ray had some good, some some good recipes too. But well, I'm, I'm mad because we on this topic. But right. Sandra has some stuff, and you know, some people don't like her, but I love the um, Pioneer Woman because she has some good food too. Now I know she got some trauma about some Asian stuff she did, and I think she apologized for that. But she still has some good food. Her husband's kind of dirty cute. But besides that, they. She has some good food too, but you know, I between Ida and Sandra, those will be some people I would love to kiki with because you know they be telling everybody business, and you'd mm-hmm. be drunk before you know it. Because after you ate this um, cheap ass meatloaf that Sandra made for you, 
That's probably so <laughs> Yeah. Or great value. She's like, look, I'm not, I'm not wasting a motherfucking money on this meatloaf. I know. What it, I am gonna get is this great goose. <laughs> yeah, and I'm mad because she was like a, she was like super rich, but she was talking about when she was growing up poor. But this woman's mm-hmm. super rich now because she married rich, but she was super rich, and I'm like, how you gonna talk about? You ain't eating like this, but I appreciate what she was doing. Right, and Ina, Ina got a, a uh, her, she lives in, uh, oh, what's that? She's in the Hamptons. Place up in, what, Chesapeake Bay and yeah, all that? Yeah, in Hamptons, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, the Hamptons. Which is ugly. Right. <laughs> I think it's ugly. I didn't like the Hamptons when I went, but it was all right. You know. That's that whiteness stuff. But, you know, I, I went to the Hamptons. I was like, it's cute, but I wouldn't want to be like in it. <laughs> like I don't want to be like like after living in Los Angeles I'm like I can just stay in Los Angeles but this is cute though <laughs> you know what let's go ahead and take a break let's take a break because we are running off all kinds <laughs> of tangents all right. um, and we will be back with our king size issue with a very very truly outrageous guest yes Hey, this is Steph Firewell. Join me bi-weekly at The Lemonade for all things nerdy and geeky, giving you all the sweet and sour notes from the nerd world, as well as my own special commentary to make this blend lemonade just right. Follow The Lemonade at Audio Boom, SoundCloud, High Bean at the Points of Interest Network, and I'll see you guys soon. All right, and we are back, and we have a very, very, very special treat for everybody. Yeah. Um, Victor, I don't think they're ready for this. They're not, but that's they, okay. They are really not ready for this. We <laughs> have uh, one of the I, – I, she's everything. Um, she was behind some of our best cartoons, especially our favorite, Jim. We have the incomparable – Miss Christy Spark, Christy Marks, with us. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Hi. This is so exciting. We're we're so glad that you took the time to be with us today, and I can't tell you how this is amazing. I was like just giddy about this all day. This has made my work day really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, Victor, why don't you you start us for us? Well, before we really get into it, I will let. For those who just don't know, which you should know if you listen to us, but if you don't know, I'm going to let Christy kind of explain who she is and what she's done. So I'm going to turn it over to Christy. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I've had a career that's sort of jumped all over the place. <laughs> um, when I moved to Los Angeles in the, in the 70s, uh, I didn't even know that I was going to be a writer. It took me a few years to figure that out. I mistakenly thought that I was going to be a comic book artist, but I very quickly discovered that I could not draw well enough to be a comic book artist, <laughs> And uh, but I knew I wanted to tell stories. What I, what I was really about was telling stories. And so I, f- I finally eventually figured out that I should be a writer, and I was fortunate to be in Los Angeles at the right period of time uh, to break in, and I broke into comics first by selling a uh, Conan story to mm-hmm. Roy Thomas. Hmm that ran in Savage Sword of Conan. 
And then I started making contacts, networking and making contacts with people in L.A. And my first break in animation writing was a Fantastic Four series for DePatty Freeling, Mm -hmm. which later became Marvel Productions, Marvel Studios. And so from there, then I wrote for um, Spider-Man and Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And uh, from there, I jumped on to G.I. Joe for Sunbow Productions. (laughs) And it was because of the writing that I did for G.I. Joe that they offered me the opportunity to develop the Gem and the Hologram series. And uh, so I did all the development work on that. I wrote something like 22 or 23 out of the 65 half hours that we did. And then I, I did a lot of other animation after that. Uh, there was an actual Conan series that was 65 half hours that I did, and uh, things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a long list of credits. And then around 1988, I also jumped into game design, and I went to work at Sierra Online designing adventure games for them. And so I, since then, I've had these three major threads of writing for television. I also wrote live action television, uh, Babylon 5, Twilight Zone, and yes. a um, half hour Saturday morning series called Hypernauts. So animation, television, um, also some longer forms, animation and TV and comics. So I kept writing for comics. I created my own original series called The Sisterhood of Steel, mm-hmm. which was published um, by Epic, which is a branch of Marvel at the time. Yeah. But I've also written um, Red Sonia, and I've written with Wendy Peeney on ElfQuest. And I also, in the recent years, wrote some stuff for DC. Um, we did an Amethyst reboot. It was a comic that originally came out in the 80s, and yes. they asked me to do a reboot of that. Then I wrote for Birds of Prey for a while. And then I did a special uh, two-parter with Green Arrow. So I, I've jumped around from comics, animation, games, and then... For six years, I was the lead narrative designer or narrative director, whatever you want to call me, at Zynga, the game company, and I learned about mobile games. And then I just recently, in April, left Zynga, and now I'm focusing on my own personal pet projects. Right. Wow. You have such a prolific career. Yes, that was a lot of my childhood into that, especially when you mentioned... Spider-Man, Amazing Friends, G.I. Joe, my God, and then, of course, Jim. But just, that was my entire childhood you just read right there. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Go ahead, Victor. All right, so my first question is, you got into writing and everything. What was kind of the, what was kind of the push? What was that main thing that said, I'm going to start writing? What was that thing that kind of got you into doing that? I'd say there were a couple of different aspects to that. One is that I had spent my entire life creating characters and telling stories because I I became obsessed, and I do mean (laughs) truly obsessed with comics at a very young age. Yeah. And I started reading DC Comics, and then when I discovered Marvel, like early on, like I bought X-Men number one off a spinner rack when I was a kid. (laughs) And so I, I just was so obsessed with comics, and I didn't know that... You could just write comics. I mean, as I thought you had to draw them, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing any better. And so I spent a lot of time, as I mentioned earlier, trying to, to draw and thinking that was the way that I had to take. And then one day I was showing my work to a very hardcore professional 
person in Los Angeles, and she she said something to me that actually ended up being probably the biggest favor she could do for me in my entire life. She looked at my work and she said, "This is terrible." Oh. And, <laughs> and I went home and I realized she was right that <laughs> as an artist, my work was terrible, but. I still had all these stories in me that I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, <laughs> you, you, I'm sure you'll find this amusing. <laughs> at the time, I was actually a life insurance underwriter. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I, 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 had, I had just, by weird happenstance, I had, had just fallen into this line of work. And... I would sit around all day, and it was it was a company that only insured people who were tremendously sick and couldn't get insurance anywhere else. So I was spending my days reading medical reports, and I learned an awful lot about um, medical issues and medical reports and so forth. But I knew that was not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I absolutely did not. And I realized that I wanted to write, that that, that was the way I could tell stories. So I started taking some night courses from a place called the Sherwood Oaks Experimental College. Hmm. And what it was was a, uh, they, they rented rooms on the second floor of a store on Hollywood Boulevard, and they would have these, these special classes, and they would bring working professionals in to teach classes about directing or acting or writing uh, and production and so I would take courses from people who were actually doing it currently in the field not you know not in theory or anything like that and so I started to study script writing and screenwriting and and so forth in fact I studied with Sid Field before anybody even knew who he was when he was like just starting out with his his theories about script writing and from there, I decided that I, I just had to get out of the, the life insurance business no matter what it was I was doing. And so I started sending out sort of pitch letter resumes. I, I didn't really have much to fall back on, but I started sending them out to various production companies. And through a, a quirk of fate, I ended up being hired by Tom Laughlin. Hmm. A lot of people probably don't know who Tom Laughlin is anymore, but he had made a little independent movie called Billy Jack. Mm-hmm. And Billy Jack had become this big cult classic. Yeah. And so based on that one success, he had gone on to make some additional Billy Jack movies, and he had yet another one of these awful Billy Jack movies that he was trying to, to sell. And so I ended up working for him, mm-hmm. just starting out like as a receptionist and then working my way up to, to working with his distribution guy. And so that was my end to, like, at least get my foot in the door of the entertainment business uh-huh. wow. because at that point I was still thinking of I wanted to write either movies or television mm-hmm. and so from there I got another job at um, Chuck Freeze Productions and they they were a large successful uh, independent producer they made TV movies and TV series they made a, a version of the Martian Chronicles at the time and they also made a really, really awful live-action Spider-Man series um, <laughs> back in the, in, the, yeah. in the late 70s. And I was around for that. And so I, I could go into the office, the production office, and pull scripts off of this stack of scripts and, and read them, read these Spider-Man scripts as they were being done. 
And it convinced me that I could do as well as these guys could because they were bringing people in that knew nothing about Spider-Man. <laughs> they, they're just like, you know, standard old white guy TV writers. And they didn't know anything about Spider-Man or the comics. And, and so I thought, surely I can do as well as this. Yeah. And then after a couple of years of learning TV production, which was enormously useful, I, I started asking, I, I want to read scripts professionally, become a professional script reader. And so I, I started breaking into that. And pretty soon I was doing that full time. And I was reading scripts for movie companies and TV companies and writing up the synopsis and evaluation. And let me tell you, that is a really, really good way to learn about script writing. Because when you see that many scripts, you quickly see what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and that teaches you an awful lot about writing right there. Hmm. So it was, it was a gradual process. You know, and then in, in the course of all that, I, I think the most important thing was just that I started networking with people. I started meeting people. And um, by, by good luck, Roy Thomas had decided to leave New York and move to Los Angeles. And Roy was at the time the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. So I heard that he was going to be at this gathering in L.A. And so I went and I made sure that um, I met him and talked to him and he gave me a shot at writing the Conan story that that was my first professional sale. Hmm. So really it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time, having the drive and the persistence and the determination to make it happen and and then getting that break and making the best of it. Hmm. That's really interesting. And I think about, you know, at that time, it was probably a few women even in you know the comic book industry at that time so it was i i can imagine how that was breaking in and having a chance to write for conan out of all the comics um back because conan was a very interesting comic back in the day as well i remember as a kid so i could imagine just i would i could imagine how it felt like you got in and you're writing for conan well i think one of the interesting things was that um Roy was actually looking for a woman's take on Conan for the oh, to the story. Oh, wow. he, he said to me, "If you can bring me a you know a story that is more from the woman's point of view, and then that's what I did. I wrote mm-hmm. the story entirely from the point of view of the woman that hmm. Conan encounters, instead of it being from Conan's point of view, yeah. which you usually see, you know, and he comes across some comely wench and gets her out of trouble, and you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So I, wrote, I took it the opposite tack and wrote it from the woman's point of view. Wow. It was a story called Child of Sorcery, and, and she was a, a priestess as a temple, and she was rebellious, and she gets kidnapped by the sorcerer, and she goes, has to send out her astral form to find someone to help her, and the, she finds this barbarian, and he comes and he rescues her, and they spend a night of passion together, and he says, why don't you come with me, and she's too afraid to abandon her life, and so she's telling the story to her daughter, so hmm. what we discover at the end is that this the daughter is, you know, Conan's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she never knows it until that moment. I mean, of course, Conan never knows it either. But you figure, if you think about Conan, yeah. I mean, he must have been like leaving a trail of bastards behind him <laughs> left and right. You know? Right? I, mean, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Because those comics so, were... Um, mm. I think I was lucky in that Roy was open to and interested in something from a woman's perspective. Mm. And so that that got me that break. Wow, that's cool. 
And of course, then I got to write some Red Sonia, which was also very yeah. cool. <laughs> Love Red Sonia. So let's you know let's talk about Jim because we could talk about Jim this the rest of the week. So <laughs> how was there any pushback from either the studios or fellow writers about the adult themes in Jim? No, because I don't think anyone looked at them as adult themes. Hmm. Um, basically, I just had a meeting where the job was offered to me, and all I knew was that it was a you know girl-oriented, based on a line of toys. They wanted fashion and romance and all this kind of stuff. And I remember walking out of the meeting wondering if I could write that kind of thing because I'd been writing G.I. Joe and Spider-Man. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, oh, this sounds so so soft. But once I really got into it, you know, into the whole soap opera aspect of it, it just became a whole lot of fun. Mm. And um, really, I had a tremendous amount of freedom. Um, they were still even figuring out who was who in the toy line while I was doing the development work, which got a little bit crazy sometimes because the names kept changing. I think the only, I think there were only two characters in the entire series from the product end mm-hmm. who didn't have a name change, and that was Pizzazz and Rio. Hmm. And everybody oh, wow. else, including Jim, who started out as, she started out as M, just yeah. the letter M. Uh-huh. I remember and her that. first name was like Morgan and then Misty, and I mean... There was all these name changes for all of the characters until things finally settled down. In fact, my very earliest scripts, she's still called Morgan hmm. and M, you know, the original <laughs> um, paper versions of those scripts. Wow. So uh, I had a lot of freedom. They didn't, they, they, I think that the only guidance they really gave me, of course, is well, there's, you know, a good girl group and a bad girl group. There's the holographic computer called Synergy. Oh, yeah, I don't think Synergy's name ever changed. And she had these earrings, and she could change her identity. Uh, And the red-haired girl was her sister, and she had a boyfriend. Oh, yeah, and they got this car that we want introduced really early on. (laughs) (laughs) And and out of that, they pretty much left it up to me, and and, uh, it it was wonderful. It was a great deal of creative freedom. I uh, enjoyed it a lot. I worked very closely uh, with Jay Bacall, the son of Joe Bacall. Who, Joe Bacall and um, Tom Griffith had the Griffith Bacall Agency, and they were the ones that had this association with Hasbro to produce animation based on these Hasbro lines of toys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Jay was just a delightful, wonderful man to work with. We had a great time. And uh, not not a lot of interference at all. I mean, every, everything, I think, went really really very well and easily and I don't remember and I mean there were there were a few maybe minor notes here and there but but nothing too terribly much they seemed to really like what I came up with that's awesome I know a lot of writers who can would kill to have that much freedom oh, as far as creating yeah. their uh, <laughs> the world uh, but out yeah, of the, I, I know it it's true yeah. <laughs> out of the the 22 23 episodes you wrote which one did you enjoy the most working on i don't know if that was any particular one um i mean all, all the stuff i did up front in the be, you know the very beginning stuff was a lot of fun i really enjoyed that because initially what i was hired to write uh, as you may know were nine minute segments mm-hmm. 
And these were packaged in a half hour that was known as either Super Saturday or Super Sunday, depending on what market it was in. And so the, the first segment would, was a some kind of a boys program in humanoids or something else. Mm-hmm. Then Jem was in the middle. And then there was another <coughs> boys program <coughs> that was the third segment of that half hour. And so it ran like uh, there were like 15 of these short segments that had to had to run. And so that was what I initially was hired to do. And, and it was interesting challenge to do those little segments, each having to have its own little arc and, and its own little cliffhanger, you know, to run in 15 pieces. And it was also an interesting challenge that I, I got these sort of interesting schizophrenic uh, instructions from from Hasbro and from Sunbow because they're like, oh, this all has to be for the girls. It has to be fashion and romance and glitter and all this stuff. But <laughs> we really don't want the boys to change the channel. So there's got to be just enough action that the boys don't change the channel. And so mm-hmm. that was initially <laughs> what they were, you know, what they were telling me to do. They wanted action, but it couldn't be too hard action. But it still had to be, you know, hard enough that the boys wouldn't turn the channel. Mm-hmm. That was what they were thinking. And then those segments, those little segments, the 15 minutes, uh, excuse me, the the 15 segments were repackaged as the first half hour episodes. And and we had to add a little bit of material to those because they were a bit too short to, to package into a half hour. So then I had to go back over all those episodes and come up with extra little bits that, that we could add to it so that it would come out to the proper length. And th- those were fun. That was a lot of fun to do. And I, I loved doing the Music Awards one. Oh, um, yeah. And oh, I, yeah. Loved, I loved doing um, the final episode, too, is, a, is I think, a particular favorite of mine. Oh, a father yeah. would be, a father yeah. would be um, oh, my God. you know, rap, kind of wrapping up and saying farewell mm-hmm. to the series. And mm-hmm. there was just a lot there I enjoyed. I have to say that the Music Awards one was... a that one stuck with me a lot and i guess because i was worried about danny i think that was his name like i was wondering yeah what happened to danny like would he because i probably was like hoping that we would revisit danny and i remember i've been to or i've i think i've been to one of the gym cons where someone wrote a story about danny like and i was like whatever happened to danny is he is he with you know dance and and the kids over there or we ever see him again? I, there, I always thought, like, did you ever have a plan for Danny, or that was just a one-shot for him, or? Yeah, yeah, it was just a one-shot for him. <laughs> yeah. I, I Initially, I tried uh, to convince Hasbro to let me do an episode that dealt with a boy having to cope with an alcoholic father. Oh, wow. And that boy was named Danny, mm-hmm. and that was where, what I originally wanted to do with him, was have him you know, a father who had an alcohol problem mm-hmm. and how he how the boy was having to deal with that but Hasbro just couldn't go along with that that was a little little too heavy for them they said if i if i could find a way to really lighten it up maybe they would have approved it but to, to my way of thinking what's the point i mean i either want to do it right or there's not really not much point in doing it yeah right so then so he dandy ended up going into the um awards show and uh it it's it steals a little bit from that original concept in that his father throws him out of the house and you don't know why Mm -hmm. so you can fill in the blanks right 
Yeah, the, the Music Awards has two of my favorite songs, uh, I Am a Giant and Running Like the Wind. Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoy the, that two-parter. Uh, did you have any influence in the uh, casting of the voice actors? Only in one particular case. Um, all of the, the acting was done back in New York, all the casting and all of that, and the music and lyrics and all of that was done out of New York. And I was in uh, Los Angeles, so uh, everything was long distance. And this was very, very early on in the days the, of computers, so there was no internet really, or at least not not in the sense that we could use it. So a lot of stuff was still just happening by phone and by courier and and so forth. But when we got around to what I tend to think of in my head as the second season, when when Hasbro decided they were going to add more to the toy line, they decided to add a new character to the Misfits and a new character to the Holograms, and that was Rhea and Jetta. Mm-hmm. And when they told me there was going to be a new Misfit, I said, oh, great. Now we got finally got a chance to maybe get some ethnic diversity into the misfits because they're all just white girls. Yeah. You know, whereas the holograms, you know, you have this wonderful ethnic mix. And so I said, Great, can we make her black? And they were like, Oh God, no, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 oh no, we can't do that. We we can't have, you know, someone black being a, a naughty person. So, um but but she could be British or Australian. That was their, their concession, too. Uh, ethnic diversity in the Misfits was that she could be Australian. And I said, okay, fine. But um, if she's going to be British, I want her to really be British. I don't want some American with just some god-awful Cockney accent hmm. part. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you pick. So they, they sent me a tape, a voice tape. And then they were, I think four there's three or four voices on it and so i start listening and it's like oh my god it's an american doing an awful cockney accent oh it's another american doing an awful cockney accent oh there's a british person she sounds great and so it was louise dorsey and they cast her cool yeah there was uh i read somewhere about the um not casting any black um characters as the misfits because I, I, I'm not sure why they chose that route, but... Because they didn't want... They're very, very concerned about role models. And so with yeah, the holograms, yeah. they wanted a lot of diversity because they were all good girls. And mm-hmm. they were good role models. And they didn't want that for the bad role models. <laughs> and so that that's... That there's that thinking, they're hypersensitive to that sort of thing, which is why, I mean, if you looked at G.I. Joe, yeah. those villains are all white, but some of them are British and some of them are Australian. I mean, just just to have some yeah. variety. Hmm. Uh, but that's the thinking behind it. Yeah. And um, I kind of did something sneaky, though, in the K-Gem episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the guy that ran this rival radio station and, yeah. and who was a bit on the... I wouldn't say he was he wasn't like evil or anything like that, but he was he was not a positive type of character. Yeah. I mean he was a we'll character that had nuance, but but you know, he was out for himself and, and I, I managed to that turn that into a black character just for the fun of it, just to like say, Hey, you know, people are people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's have yeah. some fun with this. Yeah. I think he was Lassiter. Um 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I remember better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find you it fast. I, I just like to see more well-rounded characters yeah. of all types. Yeah, like I, exactly. I would have loved to have seen Jetta as a black woman. I think it would have been interesting. It would have been fascinating, you know. And, and I think it would have been great. Yeah. And and um, it's kind of fun because uh, yeah, there's the woman that's doing the the um, gem comic for IDW. Yeah. Sophie Campbell. Yeah. Her name. Her name has jumped right out of my head. Kelly. Yeah. And um, so she, I, I guess she heard me talk about that at some because I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So she, I think she heard me talk about that, and so she had the freedom to do that in the comic, which was delightful. Yeah, which I when I saw that I was like, yes, she was listening. Yeah, you know, when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> she was listening. This makes so much sense. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious about a little bit about Pizzazz. What was your inspiration for that character? What did you draw from to create the iconic Pizzazz that we have? Um. Hmm. Don't remember anything too terribly specific. I I did beg and beg and beg for Hasbro to give me pictures of the dolls that they had in production that they were developing because I I'm a visual writer mm-hmm. and I like to have that visual input. It helps me. It helps me conceive of something for the characters. And after a great deal of begging, I did finally get a set of, of Polaroids that showed me what the prototype dolls looked like. Mm-hmm. And so I had at least a visual for pizzazz to work from. And it was a matter of, uh, what would the leader of this group be like? What kind of a character would she be? What, what kind of a character would she need to be in order to be the leader and to be a lead antagonist, mm. to be the opposite of Jim? And mm-hmm. so it was probably based more just on those practical considerations of what works and what gives me stuff to play with and you know what what drives this character how can I what can I get out of her to use yeah, yeah right. now there was also uh, on the the Father's Day episode where Pizzazz and her father were talking about Pizzazz's mother and how she walked out was there ever did you ever want to go revisit? possess uh her childhood and explain actually what happened to her mother oh yeah i really wanted to oh wow that it was like so apparent uh, you know i wanted i wanted it to be one of those things where the mother was this crazy bohemian free soul type sort of like the last person in the world you would think someone like harvey gabor would actually marry and yet somehow they get married they have a kid but this woman and she she's like an isadora duncan you know she's like someone who just (laughs) can't stay still who who really wants to lead her own life and so she just takes off Hmm. And, and suddenly here's harvey gabor with a child and just no clue how to raise a child and so, yeah, I, I very much wanted to play with that story. I wanted to bring the mother back. And I, I just, oh, I could just see having so much fun with that. And I, but I just never got the chance to do it. And speaking of uh, storylines that we missed, did you ever want to write where Rio actually found out Jerrica's secret identity? Well, yeah, interestingly enough, I was going to do that right up front. 
Hmm. And it was a note that came back from, I, I can't remember if the note came from Jay or Sunbow or whether it came from Hasbro, but someone came back with a note to like, no, let's not do that. Let's, let's keep that, a, let's keep that secret. You know, let's spin that out longer, which was fine with me. But mm-hmm. I, I, originally I think I was going to have him find out right up front. And we all seem to have an anger management problem. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Because there had to be a really good reason for Jerrica to not tell him, to be afraid, to be concerned. Not not to be afraid of him, but just to be afraid of losing him mm-hmm. uh, because of she knew how he would react. I mean, there had to be something in there. I had to build something in that would be a good reason for her to maintain the secret. Right. Yeah. And I know in uh, what the Glitter and Gold episode, she did the, um, when she talked to Synergy, she had the... Uh, Simulation. A recreation. Yeah. Of what, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So if Jim was on today, would you want to, or which characters would be on the queer spectrum? Oh, I I would love to do, and this is interesting because I don't remember whether I ever said this publicly or not. Mm-hmm. But somehow Kelly picked up on this for the comic. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to make Stormer and Kimber a, uh, a couple. Oh yes, <laughs> I think that was kind of uh, understated, or I think everybody knew about it, especially when that episode when the bands broke up, how they got together. I always thought they were undercover lovers well it was, it was certainly never intended in the original series at mm-hmm. all but mm-hmm. l- looking back on it i thought that would just be a perfect starting place um for a couple right there mm-hmm. and i also thought that uh riot could have been bisexual uh oh i could i could yeah. see that yeah. i mean again the, these are not issues you think about Especially in the eighties, yeah, right. There's not issues you think about when you're creating an animation series for eight to twelve year olds. Yeah, I mean that just isn't something that they let you think about. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I could certainly see him being bisexual. The the one thing I tried to do and I wasn't successful was with Tech Rat. Hmm. Now my the original inspiration for Tech Rat was Boy George, hmm. and I tried. I wrote him as an androgynous character. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, here he's going to be this androgynous character, and you're never going to be quite sure whether he's male or female. And you know, and I wanted, really wanted to do that character, and they could not handle it. They, it was like, no, make up your mind, <laughs> male, male or female, make up your mind. Can't do androgynous, and so that's why Tech Rap became well, distinctively a he. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that whole entire image because tech rat like if you th- if you think about now that would actually make so much sense because it's so the way people are nowadays and how very tech savvy i work not too far from a bunch of tech places in los angeles so i'm like every time i go to whole foods i'm like okay okay you we work in tech i can you're it i can tell um but it's fascinating because I, when i look back at tech rat i mean he always he came off queer to me the way he was so like protective of how he was kind of snooty towards possessed in certain ways and I was like I, I he couldn't stand possessed yeah I, I, yeah I think he I think he had a little bit of like I kind of want to be you but I can't stand you type of thing towards her so I don't know I well, he had the whole don't 
touch me. Yeah, thing going. right. Yeah, I like that. I wanted to give him a weird quirk. I wanted to make him a quirky character. Yeah. So I do have this question. So if you were granted, um, technically, the fourth season, what would you wanted to tackle in that fourth season? Or in the what? I'm sorry. Um, so uh, the fourth season of Jim, I'm, I'm, uh, it's... Oh, oh, had there been yeah. a, more than, because at the time, 65 half hours was a, a, considered a full run of syndication animation. Oh, wow. And so, um, we were all kind of waiting when we got to the, we were getting towards the end of the, the 65, we we're all kind of waiting to hear about whether Hasbro was going to continue the toy line and ultimately they decided not to and. That's what. That's why we ended it at the sixty-five. So they they could potentially have extended it for another thirteen or something like that. You know, there mm-hmm. were there was that possibility, or even, you know, usually if they're extremely successful, it'll be another sixty-five half hours. I mean, uh-huh. GI Joe ran forever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because they gave up on the doll line, uh, the series was canceled, and so consequently, we didn't really think ahead. We weren't we weren't looking ahead at anything and so there were no plans and um there was nothing being set up i don't know there were there were some characters that never went into production there was a um, character called graphics Mm -hmm. that they were going to produce as a doll and she was going to be a like a graffiti artist type um and then she never went into production um so i i there was no hint of anything else coming from Hasbro that we would build on. And because we learned ahead of time that they weren't going to go beyond the 65 half hours, we didn't really think ahead towards anything. So I didn't have anything in my head at the time. And I was, I was getting a little bit burnt out. I'd been working very, very hard on the, on the show for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back on it in retrospect is a whole different thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lot of stories I never got to tell that I, I would have liked to tell. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, at one time, they hired me to write an outline for an animated movie of Jim. Oh, wow. And then the G.I. Joe animated movie came out and tanked. I am so surprised by that. So that that killed any chance of the animated version, animated movie version of Jim happening. Wow, and and I love the animated movie of of GI Joe. I remember how excited I was to see it when it came on TV. But I'm I'm surprised it tanked. But I would I would love to have seen a Gem movie. I heard there would have been twins in this movie. Is that true? Yeah the the uh, the idea I had come up with was a um, male and female twin musical group, and they were going to have a counterpart to Synergy, an evil counterpart to Synergy. Oh wow. Ooh, that would have been very interesting. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it ended up being not only a battle between the a musical battle between the groups, but also a, somewhat of an AI battle between Synergy and and this other oh, wow. AI. And that's like before everything now. So the, the, it's just funny to think about Synergy back then and how very close we are to Synergy now. Like we. I, was, I feel like oh, that, yeah. I feel like it exists somewhere in some form. I feel like we do have a synergy, synergy running around here, or something like synergy. But speaking of <laughs> the 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 movie, and and as we move into the the times of now, we did have a gem movie. 
um, that came out. And I am very curious, what did you think about that entire experience in any form or fashion you can talk about? Well, I didn't know that it was happening until about the day before they made the official announcement. Now, bear in mind that I, I have spent, I had spent by that time years and years and years trying, pitching things to Hasbro, trying to get them to, to bring back another animation series. And then I was working, I worked with a couple of different independent producers to try to go to Hasbro with an idea for a gem movie. And I just had gotten nowhere. It was like butting my head against a brick wall. And so one day out of the blue, while I'm at Zynga, working at Zynga, I get a call from the the head of global PR for Hasbro saying, oh, we just wanted to you know, give you a little bit of advance notice that, uh, that we're going to be announcing the start of a gym movie tomorrow. And I said, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I think someone must have finally woken up and realized that um, not telling me ahead of time would probably be a very bad idea. And they were right. And mm. even telling me ahead of time, I was pretty pissed off. I, yeah. I can easily say that I was pretty pissed <laughs> yeah. off because... No one had involved me. No one had consulted with me. And then uh, they told me that the director was John Chu and that John Chu would would very much like to talk to me and would I be open to talking to him? And I said, sure, okay. (laughs) So he called me and he did ask me for input, advice, uh, suggestions about anything that I felt strongly about the characters or anything like that. And I, I said, number one, I think one mistake I made was I didn't treat Shana and Aja enough like sisters mm. to about Jerrica and Kimber. And that, 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 that feeling of them all really being sisters, I mm-hmm. felt could have been stronger. It was something I didn't think I did very well. And see, so he was like, I think he took that to heart. And then I said, and also I feel that the, Jim, Jerrica, Rio triangle is really important, and I don't think you should lose that. Well, he already had a script written, and they had already completely lost that. Yes. So, I mean, the script was already done by that point. They were just about to start production. Yeah. And And then John flew me down to L.A. to meet with him personally, and we had a very, very nice lunch, and he showed me, he told me about how he had spent years and years convincing Hasbro to let him do a movie and they would only ultimately let him do it as a super super low budget movie which he did like only a five million dollar budget kind of a movie mm-hmm. and he showed me how he had pitched it and we, we talked and I, I really liked John a lot I thought he was sincere and passionate and that he he was doing this from his heart and so he asked me if I would do a cameo in the movie and I I I said, okay, I'll I'll do that. I was overall profoundly unhappy about the fact that the movie got done without me. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I feel that even though it may have been done with the best of intentions, I don't feel that they understood what Jim was really about. They didn't. And I think that they misunderstood and thought that the underlying message of Jim was about female empowerment. It was not. 
That was not the underlying theme of Jim. Because the underlying theme of Jim was caring. Mm-hmm. It was about caring. And yes, there was a shitload of female empowerment because that's me. <laughs> beginning to end. Yeah. I just that's the way I write, that's the way yeah. I am. And so that to me was a natural expression mm-hmm. of how I would create characters mm-hmm. to be strong female characters and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it it wasn't about female empowerment. That wasn't the core. And, and that, I think, is the misunderstanding. And, and also there was this attempt to to reboot it to the degree that I think they just lost some of the important elements. And, and I think a lot of that may have come, I don't know for sure, I'm speculating, but I think a lot of that may have come from Hasbro being terrified of that it, somehow a new audience would only understand it if it was all about social media. And so yeah. I think there were mistakes in judgment and uh, people not really understanding the property. And, and I think it's unfortunate. I mean, I didn't didn't think it would do as poorly as it did. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, I was a little bit amazed. Um, but I just felt that it wasn't really gem and they, they missed both audiences. They missed the older audience that wanted to go and see the gem they knew. Mm-hmm. And they missed it with the younger audience because Jem didn't mean anything to them, and what they got was just, just run-of-the-mill story about a girl becoming a media star, ho hum. Yeah, <laughs> right. No. That the magic of Jem just wasn't there. You, you're totally right. I saw a screening at USC. I, I was in the film program there, and I, we saw a screening, and there was a few of us, and there were some true Jem fans there. And after the screening, we were very honest about how this. It broke our hearts, you know, as a person who grew up, you know, a queer boy growing up in the 80s watching this cartoon with his sisters. The, you're, you're so right. It was about caring. It was about what they did for each other. And I felt like I saw the sisterhood, especially in Out of the Past. You saw the sisterhood. You you understood it when you saw the backstory. And I feel like, you know, that's I would say the movie got that part right, the sisterhood. But the minute that they made Rio the owner of Star I was like, oh, I know. I almost got up and walked out, and I was like, I can't do this because you know I'm trying to be respectful of the program. But at the same time, I was like, and the fellow I think that one of the writers was an, uh, a USC alum, and I was just like, dude, I was like, I can't believe you did that. There was no point of doing that, and I felt like, I mean, I'll be very honest, they they just pissed all over it, and they and you're right, they the whole heart and the 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 overall power of what Jem was, and I'm speaking as a total fan, was just lost in this movie. And I've looked at it three times after the fact to make sure that I wasn't being, you know, overly judgmental. And I was like, what? I I I I just scream every time I look at it. So I wish they would have had the, you know, the respect of your work to bring you in from the beginning. I really wish they did. Uh, me too. <laughs> I wish they would have let me write the script because I had already yes. been working on on, on a, a treatment for a script and just never never could get in the door with them for whatever strange reason. I refuse to watch it. I, like <laughs> I, I will, I will not watch it because you take out all the elements that made the cartoon the cartoon, and then you have like a, the heart was gone. You don't even have it anymore. 
and then you try to market it under the same name. And I'm like, no, no, you're not going to do that. Yeah, so. I mean, she doesn't. I mean, she she doesn't even have a secret identity anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. And and synergy was this silly looking little. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> you know, wasn't even a serious character. And... Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, okay. I was hurt because I, um, big, big, big reveal. One of my friends created it. <laughs> and so I remember I saw it and I was like, I'm sorry, sir, but I, you can't do this to me. Like, I, I remember being upset after seeing it to a point where I left the party. So I remember that I was like, <laughs> Because I saw it, I was like, "No, you cannot do this. You can't. You can't do this to me." And I refuse to believe it. So, um, yeah, I, I. Here, here's one question: Do you ever think they may revisit another movie, or maybe try again with the success of Wonder Woman? And it seems that um, we have more, you know, female-driven stuff coming out from fantasy worlds and comics. Do you think they may entertain doing this again? Well, who, it depends on what you mean by they. I don't think Hasbro has any interest whatsoever. I don't think they had much interest to begin with. And the reason being is they, they have no toy line. I mean, mm. you know, it doesn't serve any function for them. Now, John Chu wanted to do these. He had them planned out as a series. Mm-hmm. So at the very end, of course, he teases Pizzazz and, and the Misfits because that was what he wanted for the second movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted, then he wanted to bring in the misfits and bring in more of synergy and so forth. I mean, he, he really wanted, he was hoping, mm-hmm. I think, to do a whole series of these and bring more of those elements in. Mm-hmm. But I think the mistake was the elements needed to be there up front. Yeah. Right. I think it was, mm-hmm. it was a mistake, unfortunately, to hold back on those things, thinking, oh, I can get them in the second movie or the third yeah. movie or whatever. Um, I think that was another mistake, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah but he, then again, he only had a five million dollar budget, true. and there's only so much you can do. Yeah. With that kind of a budget. I, I felt bad for him because he said to the audience when I was at one of the he was I was in the last scene the the last scene when they were in Los Angeles, and um, doing a little concert, and he said to the crowd that he wanted this to be his Batman Begins, and I kind of cringed. So you were one of the extras. Yeah, I was one of the extras um, in the crowd. So was that the the, the one that we, they shot at night? The concert they shot at night? Yes, that was the one. So I was there doing my cameo. Oh, okay. I think I was okay. <laughs> we could have met. <laughs> yeah, I remember that because I remember it was late night, and I literally I was. I was at USC at the time, and I told my supervisor that, you know, I'm not going to be in the next day because I'm going to be in this in this scene. And he was like, and they was like, okay, go for it. And it was downtown Los Angeles. And I remember he yeah. actually, when they were filming, and the first time I saw the character, I was like, okay, I'm not, I was confused. Like, who is Jim? And who is, okay. Like, I guess a part of me was like, I'm not used to them looking to me, they looked like misfits when I saw them. I was like, okay, I, I think of them a little bit more glamorous, a little bit more fun. I don't know. Older. A little bit. Uh, but yeah, I remember that's what he said about the what he wanted this movie to be. And I was like, okay, all right. So I just left it at that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the actresses were just lovely. Um, you know, when I was getting made up for the, the cameo, mm-hmm. um, the the 
girl playing Jim and, and the, the young, excuse me, the young women um, playing all these, these parts were there also. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to talk to uh, Audrey Peebles is her name, I believe. Yeah. I didn't get to talk to her. She had this big scene coming up and a lot of, you know, heavy makeup to do. And she was very much um, introspective and, and I think probably going through things in her head. And I didn't want to disturb her. So I didn't actually end up talking to her. But the other three actresses all came up to me and were really pleasant and chatty yeah. and, and just really delightful young women. Yeah. I, I wish it had gone better for their sakes. Yeah. 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 Like I didn't have a problem completely with the casting of the women. I just wish... They would have just made them a little bit more. And again, this is me pulling from the 80s, but just a little bit more, I guess, giving us the hologram glam of it. I just didn't really feel that. But after watching the movie, I was like, this, they, they had a lot of potential if they just had the right people involved. They're, they're talented, very talented mm-hmm, young women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've had a quite a career in video games as well. Oh, wait. As... One, one, by the way, there's one oh, more yeah. little tidbit. Because uh, it was something you said earlier, um, I stayed in touch with Gem Fandom for decades, uh, through primarily through an email list that someone I knew started. And I, one of the early discoveries that I made that was of interest to me was how many queer boys were into Gem. Yes, you know uh-huh. the, the, there was this whole subsection, and I thought that, that's really interesting. Years and years later. When I was I was working with one of the independent producers, and we were we were researching the rights because at the time the rights to Jim were a really weird mess. Yeah, I remember uh, it, it was really, really strange trying to figure out who actually owned the animation series because Sunbow Productions was gone, and mm-hmm. then it got sold to the catalog got sold to this Sony Wonder, and and blah blah blah. You know, it was like really messy, really sticky, and so we, we were researching and trying to to get more information on the rights. And so in the course of doing that, we discovered that the toy designer who came up with the initial concept that became Jim, a guy named Bill Sanders, was a gay man. Hmm. So he, he came up with the concept that was originally a boy band, hmm. and it had the holographic computer and the secret identity and... But it was initially a boy band, and then as they went and pitched it to Hasbro, it ended up morphing into a girl band, and then it became, mm-hmm. you know, what turned into into Jim. And uh, he eventually died of AIDS, I believe, mm-hmm. as I recall. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting that that maybe there was just something in the in that seed of creation from Bill Sanders that still somehow managed to to speak all the way through all of the changes and development and everything that happened. Maybe there was still something there, some seed of creation that yeah. spoke to to lichen souls, let's say. I, I would say as a as a queer kid when I was growing up in the eighties, it spoke to me because it was it was fashion and it was the music, the fashion, the the artistry of everything, the how they looked in certain clothes. Like it was so many things that was just like I remember how I just lightened up every time I watched it to the point where I didn't need to have my sisters with me to watch it. It was just all of a sudden me. Um, and as I you know went to college and everything, I found out it was so many of us, a lot of us gay guys who were just obsessed with it because of the fashion and a lot of the things we used to draw was you know had a little bit of gem elements either from the hair or from the makeup from whatever. 
um, a lot of my drag queen friends who, you know, they drew from all of that. And I feel like what Jem did was kind of, you know, spark that creativity and that and that magic in us, I guess, that that really got us caught up in the whole magic of it all. I can't really describe it. It's just like I just remember how it was it was just a magical show for me as a young kid and I just stayed with it and how to this day it's it still has an influence. Are you surprised that it still has a powerful influence thirty something years later? I think I stopped being surprised at this point because <laughs> it, it it has been so amazing. And what's what's interesting to me currently is how many new young gem fans there are there's another new generation of gem fans who have been discovering it through netflix and dvds and other sources who love the show every bit as much Mm -hmm. even though it's old animation it's old-fashioned it's old tech you know Mm -hmm. it's obviously out of date and yet the strength of the characters and the strength of the stories is still working and the music, I think, still works, too, even though it, it might be a little bit dated, but no, still somehow I think it works. And uh, I, I have encountered quite a number of young gem fans, which I think is delightful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. yeah, some of those songs, well, the majority of, if not all of these, the songs that Kinder and Bryant did were iconic to me. I would, Just before we got on the call, I was listening to... Uh, I happily ever after, and tomorrow is my wedding day. As if I was going to walk down the aisle uh, tomorrow. Um, what are some of your favorite songs that were written for the series? Oh, I really loved. Um, I've got my eye on you. Yes. And Twilight in Paris. <laughs> and uh, that one, like, who is he kissing? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. th- those are some of the ones I really loved a lot. Oh wow. Nice run down memory lane. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time. I, you know, I haven't heard the music for a pretty long time, but those are the ones that jump out at me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's see. So you, you've had a career in video games as well. What, uh, right now, what are some of the genres that you would want to write for? Um, anything that's story driven. Um, hmm. the biggest problem I was having with, a lot of games is that story was sometimes an afterthought. Hmm. There would be times I'd be hired to come in and add story to a game that was about 90% done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And a lot of mobile games just don't accommodate story. They don't really care about story. And and part of the reason I finally gave up on Zynga after six years is I ended up being like the last narrative designer they had. And, there was lip service for story, but there was no some real genuine support for it. Nobody genuinely came. Hmm. Uh-huh. It was usually enough just to have some kind of a premise or a springboard, and then after that, who cared? Um, I did, did work on some games that had more story in them, but I really loved creating the adventure games for Sierra Online, number one, because I was completely in control. I was the only designer, so I got to do everything myself in terms of here's the story and everything else is going to support the story. Mm -hmm. The problem with games is that in most cases, 
it's created by people who only care about the gameplay and story is just a secondary element if if at all to the gameplay the only time it really counts is if you are starting with story and you make gameplay serve the story like telltale games and the stuff exactly. that they do yeah. they yeah. begin with story and then there's a bunch of these um, story games out there from a company called episodes from pocket gems and mm-hmm. there's another one called Choices, and they got a whole bunch of, of, of purely story-driven. If it, games is probably not even the right term, but but they're completely story-driven properties, uh, experiences, and that's what's of interest to me. If if someone were to come to me and and want to do something that's a story-driven game, or where story is baked into the initial DNA of the game development. Things like um, Uncharted and the later right. Laura, uh, the Laura Croft ones and The Last of Us, those games where it's obvious that the story is integral and it's important. It's an important part of that game. Th- those would be the kind of things that would interest me. But I, I've completely lost interest in games that where it's all about the gameplay and story is just an afterthought. Yeah, I, f- I feel like now you have to have a story, a, a good storyline to get people involved. I know for me, because I'm, I've been an avid gamer since the Atari, uh, so like a good story, for example, a recent game that came out, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, it's the lead character is a female woman, and the story, which you don't know what happened, uh, so that which pulled me into the video game and you know the the gameplay i feel took a back seat which was good because the story was so engrossing yeah absolutely and bioware you know bioware is was really good about um mm-hmm. making the story significant although on mass effect i wish they would have given me a way to skip the arcade stuff <laughs> what i call <laughs> the arcade stuff you know i right. mean there are people who bitch about, oh, let me skip the story so I can just do this gameplay. For me, it was the opposite. It was like, okay, I'm enjoying the storyline they've given me, but I get stuck on these stupid action sequences. Why can't I skip those? You know, give me the option to skip those if I want to. <laughs> In right. fact, one of their des- a woman designer from Bioware ha- had the audacity several years back to, to state that very thing, and, and she was crucified for it you know all these people just came down on her really heavily for daring to say such a thing Mm -hmm. i know the metal gear solid they are very story driven heavy um back where uh the metal gear solid for the playstation where they had these 10 15 minute long sequences of it was nothing just but the story which a lot of people didn't see back then back when i was growing up so a story is always, I feel like, again, a story is always necessary to tell your point of view. Yeah. You know, it just depends on on the game that you're making. There, there are games that, that honestly don't necessarily need a lot of story because they're not that type of game. There's these PvP games and things like that where it's simply not that significant, but that's fine. I mean, there are lots of different types of movies 
and different types of animation series and different types of books. I mean, there are all sorts of genres, and so it should be the same for games. There should be games that are heavily story-driven, as we currently do have, and then there can be games where a story's not significant. It's really just about the gameplay, and that's fine. I mean, there's room for all of that. Right. Exactly. So we're uh, getting to the, the end here, uh, and I think we have a couple of more questions for you. So what advice would you give any writers that are trying to break into the field today? Uh, okay, are we talking about games? We are talking about because yeah, there's you know there's a lot of different, kind of you different. Say, the field there's a lot of different fields that I've worked in and I I feel that it's I think it's much harder now than when mm. I was breaking in I, I feel that I had an easier time of it or I or perhaps I was just extraordinarily lucky mm-hmm. it seems like it's a lot harder now there's more competition mm-hmm. when I started writing for games hardly anybody was doing that and now there's entire i just got back from sweden speaking at the sweden game conference over there uh, and speaking about story in fact and so there's entire courses all over the place now just for narrative design right none of which existed when i was breaking in <laughs> so all i can say is the the key i, I say the overall key elements regardless of, of what you're trying to break into. I mean, obviously, you have to learn the craft. I mean, that's basic. You know, if you're going to do script writing, then you have to learn the craft of script writing. Mm-hmm. You have to learn the craft of comics or learn the craft of animation. What I mean, you have to at least know those things and know what goes into writing for those things. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to make the personal connections that that could give you that break that you need. And that can mean going to the right type of conventions, like for games, it could mean going to the game developer conference. Um, And just by whatever means you can find to try to make the connections to people who can give you a chance or who can give you a break. But then you have to be prepared for it. Uh, There's a quote from, I think, I think it's Louis Pasteur. I'm trying to remember now exactly what it was from that chance favors the prepared mind so that if you get the opportunity, you have to be fully ready for it. And that means that you must have not only learned your craft, but have practiced it. And, and it's the old advice. If you want to be a writer, you have to write and write and write and write. And that's true. No matter what field you're trying to go into, it doesn't matter what it is. You have to work at your craft and you have to practice and practice and practice. And if it's for games, then you can go out and find one of these um, interactive programs that handle branching dialogue like Twine and some others, or connect with people around you who want to make games, and, and you can do that part of it. Just find a way to do it. Hmm. You know, if, if you want to write scripts, you write scripts. You sit down and you write script after script after script until you get good at it. Because uh-huh. once you get, you're only going to get that first break one time and you really have to shine you have to be excellent Mm. you have to make your mark immediately Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that's very true yeah so you need to have those samples strong 
powerful samples that show what you can do and a way to make yourself known. It could be blogging, it could be game journalism. There's there's all sorts of different ways. You can also try to get your voice out there. That's true. That is very true. Very true. I'm full. I, I, I don't have anything else to ask. Uh, Victor, do you I have don't, anything else? This has been amazing. So I I am so good. And we want to thank you so much for coming on the Mecha Shane uh, podcast. Two tidbits for you, if you want to end up with the two tidbits. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. I, I'm going to, to plug my book because I wrote a book on writing for animation, comics, and games. And it's oh, okay. been out there for several years, and I'm I've just signed a contract to revise and update that book. So I'm awesome. currently working on the second edition of writing for animation, comics, and games. So people can either buy the first edition, which is still tremendously useful, or they can look for the second edition when it comes out. And then the other thing that I'm working on is a gem memoir. Oh wow! And it's going to be a, a memoir covering my life as a writer. And up to and all about creating Jam and the Holograms. Okay, I'm it's an so upcoming project. I'm so ready for awesome. that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go. All right, everybody. So I know you are full because we just gave y'all so much two two full ass hours of some goodness. So. Listen, I hope you enjoyed that episode or that that interview with mm-hmm. Chrissy Marks because we could have talked for the whole night yes. with her. It was it was a fucking amazing. Yes. But you know, we gave you what we gave you, so you know, and we gave gave you some tea too because you know we had to talk about the movie. We had to talk about the movie. Oh, that damn movie. And I, I still refuse to watch it. I will not watch that gym movie. <laughs> now, if you give me some money, you say give you some and money. maybe feed me, then maybe I'll watch it. Yeah. But willingly, no. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, that's it for us. That is it for us. So, you, like always, you can follow us on Twitter. The podcast is at Megastream Pod. I am at Porter Pizzazz, and Victor is at Wonderman Five. You can subscribe, like, comment on the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Also, get your tickets to Universal Fan Con. We keep on telling you that it's coming up, and it's going to be be here before you know it. The mm-hmm. year's almost over. So you got a few short months before it is right up on you. Hotels are available. Uh, let's see. Look for our website. It will be debuting, <laughs> I would say, in the new year because the rest of the year is a wash. <laughs> um, and I'm, I will have uh, some articles up there that I've written, uh, you know, different stuff yeah, here and too. there. Um, anything else before we get up out of here? Oh no! Um, as you as we said before, we'll be talking about Thor and and a couple episodes down the pack, and then also we will be doing our review of the Justice League. So yes, also go to uh, you can visit Christy Marks's website at uh, christymarks dot com. Be on the lookout for those books that she talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
once we get some kind of uh, dates for them, we will pass that information along. Mm-hmm. Um, also, oh. uh, a very uh, important holiday is coming up on Thursday, November the 9th. <laughs> uh, my birthday shall be uh, I Want Money, Liquor, Cake. Um, in that order. In that order. Uh, yeah, I'm all, I'm all done. Yeah, and I just want to say thank y'all, um, especially our Twitter followers. Thank y'all um, for following us. Um, I love the fact that now we are uh, pretty ahead of who we are following. So I like that. And thank y'all for following us and chatting with us and talking with us. I love it. Um, you know, we do this for y'all. So yes. thank y'all. And your, your homework is to tell somebody about the podcast, get mm-hmm. them to subscribe to the podcast, mm-hmm. give them a comment for the podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at megashine6 at gmail.com. Um, girl, let's go ahead and get out of here. My glass is empty, and I need some more wine. Uh, well, you know what? That's true. My feet hurt. So, we'll see y'all <laughs> next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.